Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, welcome to the Cannoli Coach Podcast. I'm Kimberly Hambrick, and today I'm joined by Graham Frost. Graham is an inspiring speaker from the UK. His life story from escaping a fundamentalist cult at age 17 to a year in a young offenders institution to a diagnosis of cancer provides hope and inspiration for all. Graham, thank you and welcome to the Cannoli Coach. Thank you very much for having me, Kimberly. It's my pleasure. So if you wouldn't mind, would you give, um, you have a huge story, but just give maybe a little bit personal about you, maybe where you're located, that type of stuff, and then we'll get dive into this a little bit or more. Okay. So I currently live in a city called Peterborough, which is in eastern England, which is uh, most people outside of the UK haven't heard of it. So it's it's about 40 miles from Cambridge. A lot of people have heard of Cambridge. It's a very famous university there. So it's about 40 miles from Cambridge. Uh, Leicester is nearby, Northampton, places like that. If you've heard of any of those places, so for for people who are listening in the USA and other parts of the world, it's kind of, it's also about 80 miles northeast of London. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. I always ask all my guests to just talk a little bit about their journey. This podcast is built around my memories of a child sitting around uh, the table always talking, always um, lessons learned. And, you know, just from your intro, I know our lives are a little bit different. So if you'd like to share just a little bit about how you, I think probably due to your parents, how you got into the cult, but what was life like that there? And what were some of the lessons that you might've learned from there? My parents were both born into the um, religious cult or whatever you want to call it that I was born into. So, you know, there wasn't much of a choice. Um, I didn't know any different, really, until probably when I went to school at the age of five, you know, I knew I was, because we didn't, we didn't have preschool in those days, or, or certainly I didn't go to it. So it was, it was very much, um, I'm the oldest of six children. So I was, I was, uh, you know, there was, um, my sister came along 17 months after me, and um, you know, we lived in a in a small house in a town in Essex, which is about a hundred miles from where I live now. And you know, I, mean, I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, I didn't think there was anything different about me until I went to school, mm-hmm. and I was not encouraged to have friends that weren't part of the same church. In fact, I was actively discouraged from having friends, and I wasn't allowed to go to anybody else's house unless they were part of the church. So if I got invited around to somebody's house for tea after school, I wasn't allowed to go. And we also used to have 
something called assembly in school, which I wasn't allowed to go to that because it was a religious thing that was um, not connected with the church that I went to. So I had to sit outside with... Yeah, thankfully, there was normally one or two other kids who belonged to other slightly strange religions who also had to sit outside, so I wasn't completely alone. But it, all, it kind of set me apart, and I, didn't, I felt that I didn't belong. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, age of six or seven, eight years old, you know, and um, I remember having a, a, a young girl that I was fond of when I, when I was probably about eight or nine years old, and I used to walk to school with her. She used to live just around the corner from us. And um, so one day she said to me, would you like to come around for tea after school? And I said, I said, well, I'll ask my mum and dad. I said, but I don't think they're going to let me. And of course, sure enough, they didn't. And she couldn't understand that. So she didn't really want to be my friend anymore. So that was that was kind of how I grew up. And then when I was about 11, my father was working in London, which was 30 miles from where we then lived. And um, for various reasons, he decided to move us to London. And so that was a big culture shock because I had, I had, um, I had lots of, you know, I had, I had family in where, where I was born. And then all of a sudden I didn't have that family around me, just my immediate family. But um, going to London was probably in the end what saved me from, staying in that in the church for, uh, for a much longer time maybe for my whole life because you know moving to London I went to a very multicultural school in the east end of London and um and we and you know I, I, I probably came you know came under the influence of people there were also no other members of the church at that school so I could kind of get up to things that maybe you know, I wasn't supposed to get up to, and nobody would know. Uh, so, when you moved, when the family moved to London, was there a, a a church like the one you belonged to there, or how did you continue to stay within that religious yes, group? Okay, yes, there was yes. Okay. In fact, in fact, you wouldn't you wouldn't have been allowed as a member of that church. You wouldn't have been allowed to move anywhere where there wasn't one. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you. And so I know that we, thank you for sharing that and the, the isolation that you felt, even though you belong to a community, mm. you know, that, that's, I understand when you go out into school and, and see different people and some things, and that's really difficult at a young age to understand yeah. the differences. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, you talked that you had escaped when you were around 17. So what led to that and how did that happen? Well, when I was seven, uh, I was 16 years old. I left school at the age of 16 because, um, you know, further education wasn't encouraged. And so, you know, I wanted to stay at school a bit longer, but my dad said, no, you need to go out to work. And fortunately, I managed to secure a job with a company, like a normal company. Um, a lot of the members of that church uh, in those days and still now mostly work for, they either have their own businesses or they work for other church members so they're, mm-hmm. they're kept they're kept very they're kept very cocooned um i was fortunate enough to be able to secure a job in a normal company and um 
So by the time I got to the yeah, sort of 16, 17, I was going to work in an office. In fact, I was working in an office to begin with, with um, four or five other people um, who started to include, asked me to include me in the sort of work social events. And to begin with, I said, oh, I'm not supposed to go. And then I thought, well, it won't hurt if I go occasionally. And so I started to go... Um, started to go to a couple of work social events and it meant that I got home late uh, from work <clears throat> so I had to explain I had to make up stories about where I'd been to you know for my dad and um, and then I kind of realized that you know these people are not actually bad people you know they I want I wanted I found I found people in the real world more interesting than people in the church if I'm honest they were yeah they were very <clears throat> very um i don't know how to explain it. it it was kind of um it was more attractive you know the real world outside of the church mm -hmm. was more attractive so eventually when i was 17 i i i left left home and um the only thing i could think of doing was to get a job where there was accommodation um and in those days we, you know, we used to have uh, in the uk we have places called pubs which are public houses where you call them bars in the USA uh -huh. where they people go and socialize and in those days in the sort of um, early 1970s a lot of bars had staff who lived in so I thought okay let's just you know, so I, I quit my office job I wasn't particularly fond of working in an office anyway I quit my office job and got a job in a bar and I had I had a room and I got three meals a day and, a, and some money at the end of the week. It's uh, perfect. <laughs> so, yeah, but it, it was kind of, it's a long story. That particular, uh, that particular story is a very long one and not one I have time to, to go into. But it was, um, so yeah, I left my parents' house at the age of 17 and went and um, went down to, uh, yeah, went and, and across the other side of London and worked in a bar and um, lived there for several months. And um, well, yeah, probably probably eight, eight nine months I was there. I remember having my eighteenth birthday there. So, and um, yeah, it was an inter it was a very interesting experience. Doing, mm -hmm. you know, being away from my entire family and starting a whole new life mm -hmm. at the age at the age of seventeen was um, yeah. I mean, I can, I think back on I think back on it now and think what a different person I had. I became very very quickly quite a different person. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, I know you had shared earlier with me that you didn't see your mother for another 27 years. So did you see other family members or just your mother that was that long of a period? It was my, it, I saw my, my dad, because uh, my parents always knew where I was. I would all, whenever I moved around, which I moved around London quite a lot in the first few years, um, I'd always write to them. You know, we used to write letters in those days with a pen, you know, and um, I would write to them and say, this is my new address, or yeah, this is my, I think I even used to give them the phone number. And um, so my dad would turn up about three times. My dad turned up where I was living and tried to talk me into coming back, um, but I wasn't having, but my mother was never involved in that, and neither was any of the rest of my family. My dad would come on his own. So I saw my dad probably three times in the first two or three years after I left home, and then nothing for many, nothing until 2001. 
do and you don't have to answer um but do you regret your decision to leave knowing what it cost you with your family or was it worth it yeah this might sound this might sound a bit heartless but it was worth it it was worth it because i sincerely believe that i've you know i've had the life that i wanted to have Um, if I'd stayed in the church, I would have had a li- the life that somebody else wanted me to have. Yeah. And I'm still having the life that I want to have, you know, by and large. And I wouldn't have been able to do that um, if I'd been expected to, you know, doing what... I mean, I, I would have been expected to get married in my very early 20s, have a large family, um, you know, go to church every evening of the week and they still do that now and uh, three or four times on a Sunday and uh, but no, you know and every, everything is planned for you mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't have any input into what you do yourself and it's got worse since the days when I left you know so yeah well I just, thank you and just to think about when I was at age 16 17 to have that wherewithal if you will to know that the life that I wanted was out there and I should go after it I'm not 100% sure I knew I would know that so do you know where that came from that's an interesting question not really I mean I think I just saw I just saw the saw what was you know I saw my dad you know my parents I saw people I saw other people um you know I tried I did try for for a period to be a good member of the church you know, I wasn't a total rebel. I just, I did try for probably, for, you know, probably um, for maybe a couple of years at the age of sort of 14, 15, I did try to be, you know, I tried to be, but just, you know, I just thought, you know, this, this isn't for me. There's something else. There's more than, life's got to be more than going to school, going home, having dinner, going out to church, coming back again, going to bed. You know, there was no... There was no break from it. It was just this, uh, and you know, it was. I mean, go to yeah, go to church a couple of times a week, but every day, every day, and if, yeah. if you didn't go, you know, that you were in trouble. You had people coming around to see you. Why haven't you been? Yeah, no, that that is. Um, I, I grew up Catholic. I'm still Catholic, but we we would go to mass on Sundays. Yeah. So, and I I remember sometimes dragging my feet because I, did, I didn't want to go. So, yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying, even though the, um, the level is different in, in terms of what you had to do. Thank you for that. Um, you shared also that you had a little bit of an issue when you were 19. Oh, 19, yes. But what happened, what happened was when, so I went to work in this bar and it was quite a rough, it was quite a rough part of West London. And some of the, you know, some of the people there were verging on on the sort of uh, criminal lifestyle. Some of the people that were around that area, people that came in the bar, and uh, then eventually uh, an, another guy came to work there, and um, he managed to persuade. Yeah, he he became kind of a negative role model for me. He, but then I, I was looking, I was looking for something. I'm not making excuses for what I did but I was looking for something to belong to or some, mm-hmm. and um, so I looked, you know, I, I went for the wrong, I went for the wrong type of people, maybe because there weren't any of the right type of people around at the time. Uh, I don't know. 
But I, so I, you know, I went into a life of petty crime for probably about a year to a year and a half with this uh, with this guy, and um, I never, you know, I stole things, and um, you know, we kind of used to stay in because we left the bar, but this time we kind of left there and um, went off, and you know, we used to do things like stay in hotels and not pay the bill. Um, <laughs> which you could do in those days because you could walk into a hotel, book a room and you paid when you walked out. And if you didn't, if you walked out without paying, and they didn't know. Um, it's crazy. I mean, you think that this is before the days of credit cards. Right. right. And um, yeah, so we got caught by the police a couple of times. And um, I spent, I spent a bit of time in an um, institution on, on remand. This is where they go. You know, they, so they actually locked you up while they were decide what to do with you. And um, eventually I found myself in a young offenders institution for a year. Um, and it was during that that year that um, one of the one of the officers sat me down one day and he said to me, he said, um, he said, You're not a criminal. He said, We have people that come in here. He said, uh, and we know they're probably going to be criminals, for, you know, for the rest of their lives because that's who they are. They said, but you're not like that. He said, you know, you've got an. He said, you've got an opportunity. He said, you to get out of here and get out of here and don't come back because you're not that. You are not that per that type of person. And it made me look at myself and I thought, you know, did I actually leave my whole family behind um, to start a new life to end up in, you know, to end up as a jailbird mm-hmm. and I knew that I knew that I thought no I need but I was very fortunate because um some people who had I was I actually just before that period I spent a night as a homeless person I literally didn't have anywhere to go and I managed to find myself a job the next day because I had the skill now that I could work behind the bar I managed, I walked around two or three different bars in, in, in central London, near the Houses of Parliament, actually, very close to the Houses of Parliament. And I managed to get myself a job and um, with an Irish couple who gave me a job that literally took me in off the street and um, gave me a job. And then when I, came out of the, when I came out of the Young Offenders Institution, they took me in again. So you can't make it on your own completely. I mean, I'm, and I'm actually still in touch with the lady and we've got back, got back in touch with her about five or six years ago. Wonderful. I've been to, I've been to Ireland to see her. Uh, I went to Ireland to see her about three years ago. She's in her mid seventies now. Her husband unfortunately passed away before I could thank him, but I was able to go and see her and stay in her house in Ireland and um, thank her for what her and her husband did for me. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, thank you. I, I believe that people are put in our lives when we need them, and they they help and they help us forward. So that definitely is a story of that couple and on you. So you're you're getting your life turned around, and your things are moving forward, and then you get diagnosed with cancer. So yes, yeah, so by that so by that time by by nineteen seventy nine was when I was diagnosed with cancer and I I actually by that time I had left the Irish people and I was working I I got myself a job on the railway I we have um 
we have restaurants on the railway. In uh, I was working, I was working in the in the restaurants on the railway. Started there in, in January 1979. I, I found myself a young lady, and, and we were actually living together. And um, yeah, very happy. You know, I thought everything everything's going everything's going well. You know, things were had a good job, a job I enjoyed. I was in a relationship, happy. And then I, you know, I started feeling a bit tired, and um, eventually. My girlfriend, um, you know, I'd been to the doctors a couple of times and, you know, they didn't, they didn't used to diagnose cancer so easily in those days. <laughs> and um, so eventually my girlfriend took me to the hospital and said, you know, there's definitely something wrong with you. And there was, I mean, I was, I'd lost my energy, I'd lost weight, I was falling asleep a lot and that kind of thing. And I was diagnosed with testicular cancer in probably about, or should they, in the summer of uh, 1979, and um, I had then uh, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and um, yeah, it was it was a it was. I actually went down to seven st- seven stone, which is whatever whatever that is, seven times fourteen pounds, whatever whatever that is in American measure, but. Um, <laughs> It's, it's very, it's about, you know, I mean, I'm around about, so it's five stones lighter than I am now. And I couldn't wear my clothes because they were hanging off me. Um, that's, that's what chemotherapy used to do to you in those days. But thankfully, you know, I kept, I kept my, you know, I kept my eye on the, on the goal. because so I thought, well, I'm just, you know, there's no reason why I can't go back to the life I was having before I had this problem. And uh, even though I nearly died, of pl- nearly died of pleurisy at the end of the chemotherapy, um, you know, here, well, I'm obviously still here. So, and um, yeah, so then after that, you know, the relationship ended, unfortunately, because the lady, young lady couldn't, um, she, you know, in those days, you know, she thought that I'd probably get cancer again and she couldn't. So there was another fresh start involved, uh, so, you know, six, six or eight months after and then but I, I continued to work on the railway and got promoted and um yeah, I had a career on the railway for 24 years uh so yeah but that, that you know it's just it's just about um you know I suppose you have to have the resilience to bounce back and I've, all, I've always seemed to manage to be able to do that you know no matter what gets thrown at me you know I always seem to um whatever situations I, I find myself in and you know, I always seem to find a way of bouncing back. Um, yeah, I, I definitely is that that is definitely a word that I would use for you, resiliency, and mm. the um, the mindset or you know that positive attitude, the knowledge that there is something more, and you're going to fight for it however you can. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you talked about working on the railways, but now you are a professional speaker and trainer. Yes. I mean, you, you have the story. Don't get me wrong. You, you have a lot of stories and a great way of telling them, but how did you make that shift? Okay. So that was, that's, so in my rail, during my railway career towards, well, towards the mid, the mid 1990s, I was approached by the chief executive of the company I was working for at the time. And uh, he said, um, we'd like to involve you in a new training team that we're putting together because he's very, he said, I'm very impressed with the way your t- the customer service that your team deliver. I had, a, I had a really brilliant team at that point in time. 
which I'd put together over a, you know, a number of um, years. And uh, he said, we'd like you to, he said, I'd like you to get involved with this uh, training team. So I said, does that mean I've got to get up and speak in front of people? And um, he said, well, yes, he said, but we can give you that skill. He said, what we can't do is duplicate your experience. Because by that time, I'd been working, you know, in a variety of frontline roles for 17 years. And, you know, we got quite a good name for customer service out of the team I was working with. So, um, so I said, well, he said, obviously, I can't just give you the job. He said, you have to apply for it when it's advertised. It was, you know, big companies, they kind of advertise things mm -hmm. and you have to go for an interview. And I remember going for the interview for that position and I had to do a presentation. I'd never done a presentation before. And so I had my presentation written out on a piece of paper and I read it and my hands were shaking while I was, uh, while I was reading this presentation out. There were three or four people there. And anyway, they saw something in me and gave me the job. So I became a, I had then to, you know, to learn how to deliver training and, um, Fortunately, you know, I found that uh, I, I enjoyed doing it, and uh, and I, um, yeah, people said I was good at it, and I got offered, you know, I got offered um, the opportunity to do management training and uh, all that kind of stuff, you know, from a based on a on a, the view from the front line of the business, because you know, people who do management training have normally never <laughs> worked on the front line of the business, so it was a different perspective. And so I continued to do that with that company for seven years. And then um, they had a big reorganization as, they, as things happen. And my job that I was doing, which involved recruitment, training and supporting frontline people, my job was made redundant. So I, I said, um, you know, what do I do? So they said, well, there's a couple of different options. It, but um, anyway, so I actually took severance from that job. I took, I thought, you know, I've been there 24 years. If I don't, it, you know, if I don't take the leap now, you know, I'm going to be one, going to be one of these. I would have been there nearly 40 years now. So you know, I mean, I just didn't see. My, I thought, no, perhaps it's time to take that leap and see what else is out there. And um, so after after two or three months, in which it actually came to America at, at that point because I had some friends who live in uh, Orange County mm -hmm. near Los Angeles. So they invited me over there for a few days. So I went, well, it, was in, it was in January, February of uh, 2003. And I remember going walking on Venice Beach and places like that. And, um, you know, with my friends and sort of talk, talking about um, what I was going to do. And I decided I was going to start working for myself. And I'd you know, never done that before. Um, came back and sort of started my own training business focusing on customer service. And um, so, you know, and it's quite, I mean, it's quite hard work getting that off the ground. And then I, um, I so I did that. I, I got, you know, I got, uh, had about three or four years, but, you know, I made, uh, you know, I, I got by and um, then I decided to see what it was going to be, you know, what it would be like, be like back in corporate life again but then i during that time i'd actually joined toastmasters international which you, you may have heard of toastmasters and most people in america have heard of toastmasters mm -hmm. and um, and we have a toastmasters club where i live so I'd, i had joined that you know, to improve my public speaking skills and um so that got me into the i got me thinking about maybe you know 
maybe I could at some point do some speaking to, you know, to help other people to understand that they don't have to have the life that other people have planned for them, you know, to help people to make better choices and that kind of thing. And then, so I worked for a, um, I worked for a financial services company for five years between uh, 2006 and 2010. And I was do, uh, doing training, different types of training around the UK, Europe, and a little bit in the Middle East. And um, in 2010, I just thought I've had enough of being an employee again. <laughs> and so I decided to leave and um, sort of start out on my own again. And so, you know, I do a variety of training work, but I do actually, I do actually speak about my life story. And, uh, you know, talk about, you know, things like, you know, decision making is, you know, I mean, the biggest decision I ever made was to leave my family. Um, I'm not, I, I always say to people, yeah, I'm not suggesting for one minute that everybody should do that. But, yeah, it, there could be something, there's generally something that people need to leave behind if they're going to progress in, in a different directions, you know, and then... Then the sort of I, I thought about you know what's the the authenticity. So that was the conversation I had when I was in the young offenders institution about who I really was. You know, was I really this criminal? Had I gone from one extreme to another? And no, actually I haven't. You know, I, and I'm not I'm not a criminal. You know, I actually wanted to be a decent person. And then of course the resilience and positivity of getting through. Um, all the all the other obstacles that have been thrown at me. So yeah, so that that's uh, I still do a lot of training work as well because I enjoy that. I just like helping people to um, you know make you know to move forward in their careers and that kind of thing. I was working with a small business the other day who um, they've got they've just got to twelve employees and the guy who started the business was um, you know he started the business in his bedroom. And he's now he's now got twelve employees and just moved into brand new premises and they yeah you know, I was sort of help helping them to um, helping them to sort of uh, plan how they were how they were going to move forward as a team and yeah you know, that kind of, that's the kind of thing I I love to do. Oh, well, thank you, and I really appreciate how you took the components of your talks, you know, in terms of decision making, authenticity, resilience, and positivity that. Those threads are throughout your life and your story, but they're applicable to other people, um, either personal or professional. So I, I, I really appreciate that. And it, it's obvious why you do this. I mean, you have a servant heart and you're trying to help other people find, oh, yes, find their way forward. So, mm -hmm. so thank you um, for that. Uh, anything else on the horizon that you're thinking about doing? Well, apart from apart from moving to I'm moving to Birmingham, which is the second largest city in, you know, I'm in my early sixties, but uh, I've actually um, met. I was single for quite a long time. I met somebody uh, two years ago, and she happens to live in Birmingham. I met her completely by chance, and we've been dating for two years now. So um, I'm planning this year to actually move across ninety miles across to Birmingham. Um, that's and um, there's a lot of business opportunities over there as well so i'm going in fact tomorrow i'm going to a business networking lunch in birmingham that i'm kind of building up some contacts over there Wonderful. I'm, doing, 
doing a um, I'm doing a speaking uh, doing a speaking gig over there next month on Monday. So it's um, yeah, Birmingham's going to be the new home for me. Within as soon as I find a house over there, I'm looking for a house at the moment, and um, yeah, so that's going to be quite exciting. That that is definitely exciting. I and one of the things that I really appreciate about that is um, just because as we get older, because I'm I'm a little older too, it doesn't mean that we have to get set in our ways and settle. Mm. We can we can continue to push the envelope, and so you're you know finding another person in your life to share your life with, and moving to get not only that relationship but your business up and running that's wonderful thank you for that not at all yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you can't i don't think you can somebody once said i once heard somebody say uh, uh, this is a quote that this is not my quote but somebody said that um there's only two ways you can be in life you can either be growing or you can be dying <laughs> um there's no kind of stagnant staying the same you're, you're either going up you're either going backwards or forwards right um, I don't think you can actually stand still, you know, so it's, that's, um, I don't, I don't know who said that, but I heard it said quite a few years ago and it stuck, it stayed with me. Yeah. It's, not, it's not an original quote, but I don't like to use other people's quotes without attributing them, but, um, I can't remember who it was that said it. Yeah. No, I, I, I've heard it before too, and I don't remember who said it, but, but it's a very true one. You know, I, I, I spend a lot of time coaching and working with, with people currently, but also in the past who would just kind of get stuck and they were unhappy and they would give you so many reasons why they were stuck and unhappy, but you don't have to be stuck or unhappy. You can make a choice. And if you, and um, I remember early in my career talking with somebody that I worked with, he was um, overlooked for a position. He was very angry about it. And I went and talked with him and I said, you know, you need to go and talk to them and find out why you were overlooked. He said, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And I said, so what are you going to do? And he said, nothing. And I said, well, if you're choosing to do nothing, that's a decision. And you need to let go of your anger because it's not going to help you, mm -hmm. you know? And um, he wasn't real happy that I said that, but eventually he did let go of his anger. <laughs> that's, yeah. interesting. that's interesting because when I, you know, when I left the um, I left the railway industry, I didn't want to leave, and I'm, I'm not again. I'm not sorry that I did now, but um, somebody said to me after I'd been there for 24 years. Somebody said to me that they didn't see me as somebody who they wanted in their team to take the business forward, and um, so that was that was like, you know, that was a real like almost like a hammer blow, you know, <laughs> and. Um, Funnily enough, I met some. I met up with somebody about five or six years ago, who used to work for the same company, and she contacted me on LinkedIn. I think it was, and she said, "How are you? Do you fancy meeting up for a coffee sometime?" And so I did, and um, so we, you know, this lady, she was uh, she was working for another company by then, and she said, um, "She said I never I never really did hear the story of how you left." So I told her. And she said, um, oh, she said, well, she said, I ended up working for that same woman. And um, she said, after about two or three years of working with her, she said exactly the same thing to me. 
she said, but I said to her, so, okay, what do I need to do in order to be part of that team going forward? Now, maybe if I'd thought to say that, my life might have taken a different track. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm very happy with where my life mm-hmm. is at the moment. So I don't regret that now, but it, it, hurt, it hurt at the time. Oh, most definitely. And I, we all, I've had a few um, blessings in disguise, so to speak, in my life that at the moment when they happen, they are hurtful, they're painful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you step back a little bit and you realize that was the push I needed. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, when I think about it, you know, I would, I probably would never have worked abroad if it hadn't have been for, uh, I wouldn't have travelled as widely as I have if I'd stayed on the railway. And I could very well be a grumpy old man by now, you know, <laughs> just waiting, well, waiting. Well, yeah, I am so glad you're not a grumpy old man yeah, because I mean, this would know, have been. <laughs> I know, I know one or two people who are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, who were there when I was there and they're coming up for their 40th anniversary in the same company and they're just waiting to retire. And you know, I think that's um, such a waste of a life. Mm-hmm. Just waiting for your pension. You know, yeah. I, I think at least I, you know, I get to do work every week that I enjoy. Um, and, you know, long may it continue. Oh, oh, amen. And I agree with you there. There at least for me, because I try not to tell people that, you know, do as I say, but for me, I got comfortable mm. and, I, and I wasn't really pushing myself or growing. And um, what I'm doing these days is just, you know, it's just wonderful and amazing mm. to, to meet people like you, but also to work with clients more intentionally and help them see their potential. So I, I understand what you're saying, and, and yeah. I, I'm a follower of that belief as well. So, mm, yeah. Well, Graham, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. It truly is an honor to speak with you and to listen to all that you've been through in your life, but also to see how those threads of resiliency and positivity really hold your whole story together. And I, I think that's just a shining example for so many others to learn from. So thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me. And uh, I, look, yeah, I look forward to, keep, to uh, keeping up with you on LinkIn. Yes. And, um, and yeah, and all the very best to you and your, your business too. Well, thank you. Yes, you're, you're one of my many UK friends. And, uh, you know, that's the beauty of LinkedIn. And the world that we live in is that we can make contacts with people who are thousands and thousands of miles away. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Different time zones and everything. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. It's kind of early evening here now. So. Yeah. And it's, it's two in the afternoon here. Yeah, so just, yes. Just, just turn seven in the evening. Although, although because we're in, we're now in, um, now almost in summertime. So it's still, it's still daylight. Thank you. So, yes. Yes. Well, yeah. well, We'll let you get out and enjoy a little of your evening. And um, in addition to thanking you, I'd like to thank the listeners because I am blessed each and every time you tune in and listen. Please subscribe and follow me so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And connect with me at KimberlyHambrick.com. I'd really love to hear your feedback about the podcast. And until next time, let's leave the frustration and take the cannoli.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.